Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. It's Jay Scott here. Getting you all ready for the return of George Lynch, the second interview I've done with George this year. And it's about the 30th anniversary of Wicked Sensation, the reimagined version, which features a different version of each song. I've had the pleasure of listening to it. It sounds really good. I think for any fan of George Lynch and Lynch Mob, you're already familiar with the songs from the classic edition, the 1990 Wicked Sensation, Lynch Mob debut. You love those songs. You know what those songs are all about. I'm like you. I love the original versions of those songs on that album. I think the best way to approach it, if you are a Lynch fan, Lynch Mob fan, is to just go in with an open mind. Prepare to be listening to a new song, a new version of a song, a cover of a song. That doesn't mean you're going to like it, but if I think if you go in with more of an open mind of saying, "Hey, you know, what is what's the approach of this song 30 years later versus wanting to compare it to the song that you know, the version that you know, it may be difficult for you. But so go in with an open mind. I think if you just take it for what it is, a different version, you'll be more likely to enjoy it rather than comparing it to what you know. You know, if you're comparing it to, you know, Wicked Sensation 1990 versus Wicked Sensation 2020, you're going to be like, oh, how could he change this? You know, this is such a classic version. And you could still love the classic version. I'm not saying to put it away and never listen to it, but don't be quick to judge and don't be quick to nay the song you know yay or nay don't be quick to say no don't be quick to push back there are some versions that I like the classic version better and to be honest with you there's a few songs on here that I think are really kick ass Um, the one that I really love the version that I really love on this album is the River of Love 2020 reimagined version. I think it's absolutely kick-ass. I think it's just unbelievable. That, to me, is the highlight of this album. Everything else is great. The Wicked Sensation version is different, but I think it still carries on the legacy of that great song. Uh, All I Want, I think, is a really good version. Hellchild, I know there was some pushback from a lot of fans on that that didn't like it. After listening to it for you know a few days, it's grown on me. She's so evil. I like this version too. So give it a chance. Be open-minded. You know, we all want to keep our favorite musicians and our favorite bands in a little tiny box that we don't want them to go out of side of that box. And this definitely goes outside that box. So just be prepared. And 
I know a lot of people like to compare music to what they know, whether it's comparing a band to Zeppelin or comparing a band to Van Halen or whatever the case is. And those discussions are fun. But at the same time, we have to let something that's new have its own life, have its own entity. You know, I've made the comparison before. If you're a sports fan and you're a fan of a sports team, okay, and your favorite player is on that sports team, and that player retires or that player gets traded, most of you will still be a fan of that sports team. Most of you will not stop being you know, a fan of that team. It's the same thing with music. If you're a fan of rock music or if you're a fan of a particular artist, that artist may do something different. The genre may change a little bit. There might be new bands coming up. Everyone's quick to say, oh, new rock sucks, or this version of this song sucks, or whatever they're trying to do sucks. And you certainly are entitled to have that approach to how you listen to music. But as I've stated before, that attitude means you're going to miss out on a lot of great new stuff. Everyone wants to talk about the Wicked Sensation classic debut by Lynch Mob. A lot of their albums over the recent years have been just as good. And everyone, you know, will may disagree with me on that, but I've got a lot of their albums. You know, a lot of albums that maybe people won't listen to or haven't heard of and um you're missing out. You know, The Brotherhood was a great record. Sun Red Sun, Smoke and Mirrors. Absolutely awesome. Absolutely incredible. A lot of George's other projects. Uh, This is an artist that continually tries to stretch himself with creativity and trying to evolve as a musician. Even at the age, I think he's in his late 60s. Even at that age, he's still willing to take chances. And I appreciate that as an artist. I think that's great. I think that's awesome. I wish more... Artists would do that. Unfortunately, a lot of their fans won't allow them to do that. You know, not every band is ACDC. As George mentioned in this interview and in the previous interview that he did, not every band, you know, will give you what you want like ACDC does, where you know it's going to be three to four minutes of a song, maybe a little longer. It's going to have the hook, the guitar riff that everybody knows and loves from Angus and, you know, in years past, Malcolm. And it's going to be about, rock and roll it's going to be about women it's going to be about partying it's going to be about all that not every band is acdc when you when people talk about how much they love a band like led zeppelin or they love a band like rush or van halen led zeppelin is a prime example of a band constantly evolving when you look at led zeppelin one you listen to led zeppelin one and you go through their catalog to Led Zeppelin 2, through Led Zeppelin 3, 4, Houses of the Holy, Physical Graffiti, Presence, In Through the Outdoor. I can't think of one of those albums that's the same as the one before it. There's some similarities. I totally agree. You know, there's some similarities in Led Zeppelin 2 as there was in Led Zeppelin 1. Led Zeppelin 3 was had a lot of folk music, you know, style influence in there with... Ron Yarstomp, and That's the Way. 
and then you move on to you know Led Zeppelin four. Look at all the stuff they did with the time changes on physical graffiti with a lot of Middle Eastern influence in that music. You talk about Kashmir. We can talk about some other songs. So that was a band that was always evolving. I mean, up until their last album, In Through the Outdoor, with which came became more keyboard friendly, and there's reasons to that. Obviously, Jimmy Page was not functioning in the same way but because of the drug abuse, and John Paul Jones took the band and took that album in a different direction. But that's a band that everybody loves, and that's a band that evolved. Van Halen, you know, I mean, even from Le- from Van Halen 1 to 1984, the band evolved, and look at from you know Diver Down to 1984, they introduced the keyboards and you know different style that they were playing, and then Sammy Hagar took over, and everybody wants to blame Sammy for you know the direction that Van Halen went into. But as Wolfgang said in a recent interview, Eddie wrote the music, and Eddie wanted to go into the keyboards. And maybe that was the final nail in the coffin for the David Lee Roth era because maybe David Lee Roth didn't want to do it. But Eddie Van Halen wanted to evolve. Now, you can always discuss, as in terms of his guitar playing, he really hasn't released much over the last few decades. It's disappointing. That's a whole other topic. But don't fear the evolution of the artist. Let them become the artist they want to be, the musician they want to be. No musician wants to play the same song that they did 30 years ago. They'll play it live. I should say write the same song. They'll play it live. You know, they'll play the old hits live. But as George said in the interview I did in January, you know, he's been asked to do songs like Dokken or write songs like the 1990 classic Wicked Sensation. And he's very forthcoming when he says, I can't write those songs anymore. I'm in a different place now. I'm a different person, you know. I've evolved, you know, musically. I can't get back to that 20-year-old something that I was when I wrote those songs or 30-year-old something when he, when he wrote those songs because it was decades ago. So, again, listen to this album with an open mind. Don't be quick to judge it and quick to say, oh, it stinks or whatever. Give it a few spins. And really, to be honest with you, you really don't know a song until you really listen to it half dozen times, 10 times, you know, just keep playing it and listening to it. Sit with the album for a few days like we used to. Remember we used to buy albums at record stores and we would sit with that album over the weekend and into the next week and we'd read the liner notes and we would lay in the bed and just stare at the ceiling as we listened to it. We were connecting with that that album, that music, that artist or band that was producing that stuff. It's the same thing now. I mean, obviously everything is so quick to get. You know, it's point, click, download, and it's in your on your computer, on your phone. You do the skip, 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 you know, when you're listening to the, to the your music in the car. So it's, it, it's all about your mood. It's all about what's happening that day, and it's all about, you know, getting satisfied quickly, that instant gratification. So, it, you know, I still listen to music the same way I did when I was younger. I listen to it. I, you know, absorb it, but I just don't make a quick judgment on the first or second time that I listen to a song. I may skip it, but I'll always go back to it, you know, to listen to it. Because again, as I said in this, you know, in, in uh, past episodes, music is so much about timing that you could be in a different place emotionally, 
maturity wise, you know, you listen to a song differently when you were 16 than you do now as an adult, you know, a 40 year old, something a 50 year old, 30 year old, whatever that song may not have changed as I talked about in this interview, but you have changed. So you could listen to an album that you have listened to hundreds of times, dozens of times. And the song that you maybe didn't like 10 years ago, all of a sudden it's like, Oh wow, that's a, that's a great tune. How come I didn't like that? So remember that, you know, when you're listening to music, you're evolving so the song may evolve with you, and other times, you know, songs that you loved and enjoyed may not connect with you anymore, may not be what you want to hear anymore. So remember that as well. George also was very forthcoming in this interview. You know, we talked about the Sturgis Rally concert, and, you know, he talked about his personal decision to do it and why he did it, and his honesty on it is always appreciated, and you'll hear that. Um, we're not perfect people. No one is perfect. A lot of us, in fact, probably all of us have a bit of hypocrisy in them. But it's nice that George was forthcoming and honest about that. I always appreciate that because at the end of the day, he really doesn't have to do that. But um, that's what makes George Lynch who he is, is because he's very thoughtful in his answers. He is very honest. Um, you can tell he's thought about things. You know, when I ask him a question, it's not the standard answer he gives everybody. Um, he, he really does think about what he wants to say and how he wants to answer a question. The other exciting news is I know I'll be contacting George soon about putting together an episode with George about what he does off the stage, which I think you'll find really interesting and Hopefully we can connect on that and get that out to you. You know, we're almost here at the end of summer, so maybe this fall we'll be doing that as well. I'm excited about it because there's a, it's a subject matter that I know George is very close to, and, you know, it's, it's very, um, very important to him. So looking forward to connecting with him again and getting that done. Nevertheless, I've ranted and talked way too long. I know you're ready to listen to the interview. So here it is. The return of George Lynch discussing many things, but primarily the reimagined 30th anniversary edition of Lynch Mob's Wicked Sensation. Good evening, everybody. It is Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're staying safe and healthy. It's a crazy world out there. We're trying to get a handle on this uh, COVID-19 pandemic that's been affecting us since March. But we're here for you to hopefully be the brighter side of your day talking music. And we'd like to welcome in our next guest, legendary guitar player, Mr. George Lynch. What's going on, George? How you doing? I'm doing great. Um, just um, recently got back from a actually played live, uh, which was 
you know, something we don't get to do very much these days. So I got, I, 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 I uh, played Sturgis. And, how- and uh, it was interesting, to say the least. Yeah, how, how how was that experience? Because that was you know that's a pretty controversial thing with all those groups of people meeting and right. you know and and people yeah, playing. I'll just say right up front, uh, you know, disclaimer. Listen, I, I understand I'm being the ultimate hypocrite by uh, advocating for something like that because I believe, you know, I believe that we we should be locked, locking down and be you know as cautious as possible. Air on the side of caution, but. Um, uh, you know, I was uh, conflicted in, in a lot of ways. I mean, you know, it was sort of a selfish move on my part to to, to, to go up there and play um, just because I'm really desperate to play live music again, and those people are desperate to hear it. But um, the way I rationalized it in my own mind, which may have been somewhat disingenuous, was to just uh, tell myself that you know this is a this is a show that people are going to go to anyways. They're going because it's the third 80th anniversary. They're not going there to see my band. Uh, you know, there's a hundred bands. A lot of people are canceling. People are being swapped out. That's not really the appeal of a draw. People don't go up there to see one particular band necessarily. They go there for the event. So I didn't feel I was putting anybody in jeopardy that wasn't already putting themselves in jeopardy. And it's up to them to wear masks and distance. So. Uh, for myself, I have this vehicle called a, uh, a Rebel, which is a, uh, it's a uh, modified four-wheel drive Sprinter with solar panels and so forth. And anyway, it's, 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 uh, I, I use that to live in and transport myself up there and back. Camped out along the way while I was there and on the way back. So for me, it was a two-week road trip through Utah, Wyoming, South Dakota, et cetera camping out every night and with five days of uh, getting to get on an outdoor stage and play with my friends and play guitar again, which was wonderful. How was the, you mentioned you were, you know, transporting yourself to and from the stage. How was behind the stage? You know, what was that like with the roadies, with people, with, you know, sound guys and everything? My tech was there. my tech was there. Uh, he drove in from Minneapolis. Um, uh, he had, we spoke, uh, uh, and had a plan. And, uh, before we ever showed up, there was nobody allowed in at my RV, no, which was my dressing room or whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's where I would just drive in 20 minutes before the show, wait in there until John texted me to, and met me at the door and told me to let's go. And uh, there was nobody backstage, nobody trying to shake hands, nobody trying to talk to me. Everybody was, they didn't allow anybody back there. And all the equipment was cleaned off and, and disinfected and brought our own microphones and all that kind of stuff, a lot of our own equipment. And then uh, John was just handing my, my guitar cable and even my mask and uh, off to the races, you know, and big giant 80 foot outdoor stage or 20, 30 feet from the audience. And, you know, it was relatively safe, as I can imagine, because, you know, was what was ironic about the whole trip was, you know, I, you know, I go hiking during the day up in Spearfish Canyon or do this or that, but not, not around anybody, you know, and um, or practice my guitar and, 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 and just 
play my shows once a day, five days, and then turn around and come back to all this beautiful country where I would be camping and, you know, uh, venture back roading and, you know, whatever. And then I, um, at night, you know, I'd be under the stars, little campfire playing guitar, watching the shooting stars, and it's just beautiful. And uh, so it was really like almost like a vacation in, in a way. And then when I come home, Southern California, you know, I came back to a hellscape. Literally hundreds of fires. You couldn't, it was like fog. You know, the air was unbreathable. Uh, got up to 111 yesterday. Uh, and of course, we're, we're, we're got a, a tremendous amount of the virus, you know, infection here in California, especially Southern California where I live. Um, and all the stuff happening, you know, politically, everything that's heating up there as well. Uh, just a lot of heat to go around. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty insane. And, uh, and, uh, so, um, as soon as I got back, I was told my wife, was, you know, I just, maybe we should just take off again and get the hell out of here. There's almost no place to go, but whatever, you know, just the idea of, uh, hitting the road seems pretty appealing. Yeah, it sounds like a very surreal experience, you know, doing all the camping yeah. and, and, you know, what you just said. You know, sleeping under the stars, playing at this big event, coming back and having all the issues California is facing right now. When you played Sturgis and you you know you just talked about all the things that you guys put in place to plan, does it make you feel more comfortable about playing live in the future? Yeah, that's the only show I didn't um, postpone or cancel. Not not just me. A lot of times the promoter would cancel, or the state would come in and say you can't do this, or the other bands would, would uh, pull out, you know, there's a lot of reasons why a lot of these shows got canceled or postponed that we had on the books for obvious reasons. But this one remained in place um, because of the uniqueness of it. Um, a lot of different elements uh, went into this, deciding whether the show was, was uh, worth doing. Uh, and we felt it made sense. Um, uh, and I explained most of those points to you earlier. Uh, one being that, um, you know, it was in a state where there's very rare, uh, very low infection rate, uh, being that it's rural. And, uh, uh, and all the states on the way up there were pretty low in infection rates. So what I had to drive through, you know, Utah and Wyoming, is not n- nowhere near the kind of infection rate we have here in, in especially in Southern California and Central California. So, um, you know, uh, the, the fact that, you know, I was going to be on an outdoor, very large outdoor stage and not around anyone else and having no contact with anyone. I wouldn't be flying a plane. I wouldn't be staying in a hotel. I wouldn't be doing meet and greets. I wouldn't be really around anyone. I'd be self-contained in my, in my mode of travel. Um, so, um, although it was, everything's risky, you know, stopping at a gas station and putting, filling up the diesel was risky. Um, you know, you could break down, you know, there's always things that can happen, but, uh, things can happen anywhere. What are you going to do? Just sit on your couch and, and, <laughs> uh, you know, um, that's also damaging, I think too, uh, mentally, you know, um, what good is it if you have your body, but you don't have your mind? You know, through right. all this. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, it's a it's a um, you know funny time because here in you know in Chicago, obviously there hasn't been any shows here in months, and you know everything's been postponed till next year. Who knows if next year there's going to be shows allowed in certain areas and and, and whatnot? But yeah, you know I I saw some people play Sturgis, and I know it's an outdoor area. I know you know being outdoors is a little better than being confined in a space, you know, like a small theater or a small club. You know, and you did, you know, make a great point that, you know, the infection, I mean, I don't even think there's a million people in South Dakota. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, space between people. And, and I think, you know, it's, you got to judge every situation on its own, on its own merit. So, yeah. I mean, uh, that's what we did. My wife and I, and, and my, my agent and, and my tech and the band, and we all, talked about it and we were all kind of back and forth i mean we, we didn't you know right up to when we left we were still you know questioning the validity of you know our assessment of, of uh the threat you know not just to ourselves but to other people and we want to bring something home to our family i mean two of my younger children well they're not that young but they are the youngest um um caught the virus um have been um uh, tested positive um and so um you know we understand how real it is and how dangerous it can be we've had uh, relatives and friends and so forth have you know losses in their families due to this and uh so it's it's hit home pretty hard uh in our own family uh we've witnessed you know the devastation that this thing can cause um so we don't take it lightly at all um, but at the same time, as you know, we mentioned, you, you, you've got to find a way to not just, you know, sit inside and hide and vegetate and go stir crazy. Right. You know, uh, that's damaging as well. Uh, so, uh, it would, you know, I promise not to get political here, but it would be nice if we had some political sanity steering the ship. That's all I'll say about that. And, yeah, and and all I'll say about it is is that the fact we're still talking about this, you know, coming into September is just I can't even wrap my head around it. You know, when you look at other countries and the numbers that have declined, and you look at the U.S. and you're like, you know, why are we still? Why are the numbers still rising? Why are we not containing this yet? And the reason the reason why is because certain facets of our of our. Uh, you know, uh, our ruling class cares only about power and not about people. Right. That's the problem. So we need people in charge that care about people. Uh, they're, they're public servants. Not They're not our masters. Well, they shouldn't be anyways. They want to be, but shouldn't be. So, you know, when, I think the best thing that we can do, which is, again, I try to just think of things that are real simple and obvious for answers about anything, you know, look to examples around the world of, of, of where people have done well with this and what have they done and emulate that. And that we can say that about just about anything, you know, our economy and environment and how we manage ourselves across the board. Let's look to examples of places that have done things well and um, consider learning lessons from that. Mm-hmm. For instance, New Zealand. Or Vietnam, and you know a bunch of other places that have really squashed this pandemic, and life has gone back to relatively normal. 
although they're being you know continuously cautious and there are flare-ups but i mean not anywhere at the level that we're experiencing so we're just you know we're just extending and deepening the amount of pain that we're having to go through unnecessarily you know we do have the science we do have the knowledge we just choose to politicize it or allow it to be politicized we're all paying the price a hundred percent agree Getting into the uh, the album, you know, the Wicked Sensation turns thirty years old this year. You decided to do a reimagined version. You know, in our last interview, we talked about you know evolving as an artist, and in one of the comments you made in in the interview that we did in January was, you know, when people ask you to write a Dokken song, you can at this point because you're. You're in a different place. You're mentally, and you are, you know, have evolved as an artist. So it's very difficult for you to go back to what you were back in the '80s, and you know, in a large part, you know, with, with Lynch Mob in the '90s. So here you are, reimagine this album. One thing that doesn't evolve in music is the song itself. People may evolve and have a different interpretation of the song as they get older and have different things happen in their life and they're in a different place. But the song really never evolves because it is what it is. Now, I imagine with you always striving for evolution, to doing different projects, trying to stretch yourself and, and, and do different things. As you grow and as you've gotten older, I imagine that part of your thinking is, well, what if I did this with this song? Or if I, I'm, I'm, I'm playing like this now, what if I played the song like this? So you're like thinking of ways to, change the song and, and, and how you play it today. Did that go into your thought process with this album? Uh, it did, but um, I don't think we put as quite as much thought into it as you just did. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty shoot, a uh, shoot from the hip process, pretty much shoot from the hip process. We, um, you know, over a scattered period of time, either sound checks or, uh, a lot of uh, Brian, the drummer and I and uh, myself would just be sitting around at, at his garage, just kind of jamming on the stuff. And, and I think we took a couple hours, a few hours out and went, okay, let's go through all the songs and see how we want. Let's map out the, the tempos and, and the feel and then just the, the style, you know, stylistically, how are we going to play these things? And it was just off the cuff, you know, both of us thought, well, let's do this one a little more stones or let's do this one, more intense, double bit, you know, that kind of thing. We were just riffing. And then we just record it very brief, you know, real quickly, just do a run through with it. And that was our, that was our map, you know? And, um, it was relatively easy, quite honestly, and fun. And a lot of emphasis on, on enjoying ourselves, enjoying the process and just all getting around. You know, it was the last time before uh, pandemic really kicked in that I was together with a band uh, in any kind of situation. We had done some touring in, in January and February, which went really well. And we'd just gotten off of that, had more touring coming up when we're taking a break. And during that break, we're going to finish this record, 30th anniversary record, which we just narrowly got in under the wire before everything shut down. And we didn't really see it coming. And we had a wonderful time. You know, it was Oni, uh, Robbie Crane, Brian Titchy and myself here at my studio, but Brian's studio kind of scattered around. The wizard was helping us out at the end, uh, um, doing some recording, uh, recording vocals, and, and he mixed the record. 
in uh, Las Vegas. So um, it was, we had a blast, you know, with all the cervezas and sitting around and, and just playing with the music, you know. Hey, George, try this wall-up part. Try this talk box. Oh, let's try this. Try add these bongos. Brian B. Guyton, uh, uh, Robbie on the bass track. You know, incredible bass playing on this thing. And he was just having a blast because we didn't have to write the material, you know. We just had to kind of reinterpret it a little bit. So it was a lot of fun. You know, I, I, I don't really, I can't say we thought too deeply about it. I really enjoyed, you know, the you know, the new versions. I mean, they sound fresh, like you said. You know, the fun, you know, comes across in in the music. I mean, I, I think about "River of Love," and I think about "All I Want" and the and the differences that are, they are from the first album. And it's really cool to kind of different, get a different take on those songs. When you do play them live, will you play the newer versions or you play the classic versions? Well. That's an interesting question because, you know, this whole year was, was dedicated to uh, touring uh, under the 30th anniversary moniker, and that was our backdrop, and that was our whole set. We was just playing the album. We had some station albums from, from front to back. That was it. No other album, no other material, no docking material, nothing. Just the album, like albums that played live. Um, so had there still been touring this year and then now this 30th anniversary reimagined record would be coming out next week. That would be a question we'd be asking ourselves. Do we want to, do we want to mix it up and promote this record and play these versions of the song? So that, that's something that I would have enjoyed doing and I would have voted for, you know, I, I don't know how everybody else would have felt about it. Ultimately, it comes down to, uh, I think, trying things. We've done this a lot in the past where we had some, I thought we had good ideas and we try them live and they don't go over. <laughs> and then we retreat back to our safety, you know, default, which is just play this stuff the original way and the way people have, you know, what they expect to hear, playing what they expect to hear. People don't, people don't like change a lot of times. So, um, I make a mistake sometimes thinking everybody else is like me and I, I like things to evolve and I like to see people take chances and I want to hear my heroes and my musicians that I admire uh, go out of the box and surprise me. I mean, I, I like that stuff. Um, but I understand and learned the hard way that not everybody feels that Yeah, you know, a lot of music fans want their artists to kind of stay in their box that they know. And I think, you know, you've even mentioned that before, you know, where it's very hard for a music fan to, you know, enjoy something new or enjoy something different because they do get locked in on, on what they know. And it's very hard for them to kind of get out of that comfort zone. Yeah. I mean, if you're ACDC, you want AC, you know, we don't want ACDC to be anything other than what they are. Right. That, that formula works. Coke, Coke. We want tab. We'll go buy tab. Um, right. But some bands are not built like that. You know, some bands are designed to be all over the place. I mean, you can really nail Fish down. You know, Fish can kind of do anything they want. Uh, or other bands like that. Um, uh, Mike Patton. 
you know, he's all over the map. People respect him for that and expect that from him. But he never established anything that was so monumental and all-encompassing that and and, finan- and uh, commercially successful that he couldn't afford to abandon it. No. That's the thing. Um, uh, Lynch Mob is not, you know, you know, it's not a huge, huge band where I'd, I'd be, uh, you know, uh, threatening uh, to rock the boat on something that's hugely successful by changing the uh, direction of the, of the music that we play or, or something. It's, it's, it's not a risk for me. Uh, I'm not risking much. So, um, but for bigger bands that are established, of course, it, it would be, you know, it would, it would almost be silly. I mean, you know, you would want Judas Priest playing reggae music all of a sudden. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that's probably a terrible example, but you know what I mean. Yeah. You know, last week you made some news with the comment about changing the name. You know, you won't be under the lynch mob moniker, you know, because of the social unrest and the, you know, what what people associate, you know, the name with, you know, even though it's it really doesn't have that meaning. You know, it's a it's a play on your last name. But um what went through that process of coming to that decision? Because, you know, it has been 30 years since you started with that name. And, of course, things have changed socially and things are happening. And we want to be sensitive to that as well. And we want to make sure that we're not, you know, doing the right, doing the wrong thing, I should say. And, you know, here you doing are. Doing the wrong thing for the right reason. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, I mean you know, so it's, it's, it, it was interesting that, you know, you decided to do that. And I understand why you did, because a lot of people are. And whether it's a football team, whether it's a, a, a brand name for a, you know, a syrup. I mean, people are just doing that all over. What went into your thinking and doing that? Um, well, listen, this isn't something that, that has just come up for me, obviously. You know, I mean, I'm acutely aware of what the name implies universally. Uh, you know, it implies something very painful, negative, hurtful, and, and harmful, and, uh, much more than it, that than you know implying my last name. Uh, so I've been aware of that since you know we named it that. Um, but I had you know when the name first came about uh, was actually predated the band Lynch Mob. It was really a kind of a subset of the Dokken fan base of, of sort of the guitar fans that I had. It's just sort of grass evolved in a grassroots kind of way and I just fed into it so me and my tech and my manager started serving that little offshoot and we started making picks that said lynch mob on them and we had kind of other little different things that we did and um, mailers and stuff you know and it was kind of cool and so that's where it, that's where it grew out it was this was my little fan that would all assemble on my side of the stage and I'd throw picks at them and they were guitar guys and girls and that was the lynch mob, you know, that's what we called it. So, I mean, of course, we, we're aware that there's the overarching connotation is, is you know, <laughs> is there, but, you know, it's just a little thing and we didn't, we had no connection to that and didn't apply that and don't have any 
respect for that. We, we, we abhor that sort of stuff. But we still thought it worked, you know. Probably insensitive and probably the wrong thing to do. Um, and then through the decades, of course, I've had difficulties with the name. I've had run-ins with, uh, you know, uh, my fellow some fellow guitar players and musicians and that were activists and, and, and more involved in, in, in dealing and, and fighting, you know, racism, things like that, which I respect very much. I actually play with some of these people and they, you know, we've had discussions and had, had issues and, and I sort of always played it off a little bit. Just look, I get it. I know, but that's not what this is. It's just another thing. Um, but you know, I know it's wrong. Just like I knew playing service is wrong. I'm not a perfect person. <laughs> I'm full of hypocrisy. Uh, complicated. But, you know, the thing is, and what, it, it, I guess what really uh, set it in stone for me as far as, let's just, let's just retire the name, was when we did this record, the 30th anniversary record, then the pandemic hit literally like the next day everything shut down as soon as we finished it got it right into the wire and then all the touring shut down for the rest of the year so essentially the band's dead in the water and I was doing an interview with someone else and I thought you know there's no reason this, this is a good time to get out so it was very convenient as I, I guess is what I'm saying and it was really almost the writing was on the wall you know somebody it was like you know if there was a god he would be sort of, hey, George, uh, I don't know if you're getting a hint. I can't actually speak to you in person, but uh, pandemic, uh, 30th anniversary record, uh, uh, this Black Lives Matter, maybe you want to think about letting that go. And, uh, yeah, it was time. And it felt actually really liberating. It felt great. It felt like it made a lot of sense because, now this record, this 30th anniversary reimagined record, is is the bookend on the on you know small but not insignificant legacy of what this band represented musically. I think it's I think it's it, it tied it up in a nice neat little package, and and I couldn't in good conscience keep going on with the name the way things are going now in the world, and it was probably probably took me too long to do it. I will admit. And, and, and it does look a little disingenuous to do it now, like I'm doing it under pressure. I'm, I would say maybe some pressure, but also um, opportunity. You know, opportunity linked itself with all the triangulations of things that have occurred um, in the pandemic, uh, the loss of touring, uh, doing this record, which is a you know, perfect bookend to to end the career, you know, end the legacy with, uh, put a end of the chapter. And um, just, like I said, just it was like a perfect storm uh, of triangulated uh, um, things that all just came together to sort of give me a, a wake-up moment to go, you know, this is this is a good, uh, an exit point for me. Um you know, and it won't be a real neat, you know, cutting off period because we have the record coming out next week. Obviously, it's still called Lynch Mob. Um, and, you know, that'll go for a while. So really, by the end of the year, it'll have pretty much gone away. There'll be very little, if any, touring with that name 
probably none. Um, so next year will be a new beginning. And new beginnings are good. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. But um, I know you got to go. We've got a limited time here. And, and uh, I know we've got plans for a, an additional discussion down the road here. And I appreciate your time once again, George. I, I, you know, the new album is out in a week. It's the reimagined version of Wicked Sensation. Thank you very much for your time again. All right, Jay. We'll talk soon. All right. Have a good day. Once again, everybody, that's, that's George Lynch. Check out the latest album, Wicked Sensation Reimagined, coming out next week. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.